You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners. Kevin and I need your help. Yes, we need your help. Please, please, please. We need your stars. We need your reviews, you guys, on iTunes so we can start to climb those iTunes rating charts. It's simple. Open iTunes. Click on the iTunes store. Search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. If you need some help, think of one star being Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the road company of the last five years, (laughs) and five stars being free front row tickets to Hamilton. (laughs) Although, when you think about it, I actually would give five stars to the road company of Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the last five years, because I think that would be Uh, awesome. I would love to hear, can I hear moving too fast as Paul? (laughs) (laughs) That's the the one I really want. She's a shakes the goddess. (laughs) Since Erica Schwartz and Danica Weiss and the Handelman twins... So there you go. You can also leave a comment if you like. That's it. That's reviews. it. Send us Thank your reviews, you. friends. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page, Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram, at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World. Huzzah for us. Yeah. <laughs> Our guest this week is truly part of a musical theater dynasty. His dad was in the original productions of South Pacific and Bells Are Ringing. His mother was in the original productions of Mr. President and I Had a Ball. Oh, yes. Carrying on in that fine role and tradition, their son's credits include Follies, Titanic, and Thoroughly Modern Millie, among many others, including a stint on All My Children as Jason Sheffield. My mom still asks about that. Ah, To tell us what it was like to grow up in a house full of legends, how he found love on the Titanic, and what it's like to be both the boy and El Gallo in the Fantastics, here is the delightful Richard Rowland. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Sometimes in the same show. Oh my God. Richard, we are so happy you're with us today. Thank you. Let's start with your parents, if that's okay. We'll start there. Great. Tell us about mom and dad and what they did. Um, let's see. Dad grew up in a very musical family himself. In fact, I'm actually third generation Broadway. My grandfather played in the pit, who's trumpet player in the pit for the 48 revival of Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Oh my God. Wow. So I'm actually third generation. And I, I always forget about that because we always look to the performers and we forget that there are beautiful musicians down there. Oh yeah. So the legacy just got longer, I guess. Um, (laughs) but dad grew up singing in church choirs as a kid. His mother was a well-known uh, choir director, president of Nats at one point, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he ended up landing his first Broadway audition, which was replacing replacing um, uh, as Thomas O'Brien, is that right, in uh, in South Pacific. Oh, wow. Yeah, just one of the sailors. But, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, but he, Richard Rogers loved him because he sang everything on the page the way it was written. <laughs> Imagine that. Well, what a, that's, a, that's a novel concept today, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that was that was dad. That, that was, was dad. dad. Wow. And then yep. what about mom? Mom grew up as an army brat all over the all over the country. Her dad was a colonel in the in the in the army during the Second World War and we see she was born in Hawaii, raised on army posts in Colorado, San Francisco, all over the place and was a music major in college and I think the degree in her hand was still wet from the ink and she was on a train to New York because she just wanted to get here really fast. Mm -hmm. And within that year, she booked her first Broadway show. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And what years were this? What years? This is 57 or 58 for my mom. So Uh she graduated in 57. I think Keen was her first Broadway show and that was in 58, I believe. Keen. 
with I Alfred like Drake. It's one of my favorite Alfred scores. Drake. Is it so one here, of your favorites? Oh, it's a fantastic score. Sweet Danger. Oh, yeah, it's, it's Sweet Danger, Sweet Danger. It's so good. It's one of those that I really want to see what went wrong with the book. Yeah. Because, mm. I, I mean, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But, no, um, no. It's a Forrest and Wright, uh, you know, the Kismet. The Kismet folks, right? Yeah. Yes. Hotel, yeah. too? Yeah. Did yeah. they do Summer Grand Hotel at some point? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So here's the interesting part is that my mother worked um, yeah. with the original Curly from Oklahoma, and I finally got to work with the original Lori in Oklahoma in what? the Follies Revival. So, so when you were wait. young Ben in the Follies Revival... Mm-hmm. You worked with Joan, Joan Roberts. Joan Roberts. She was. Um, oh, you're gonna shoot me for not remembering the character's name. Um, the operetta. Heidi. Yes, Heidi. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Good job. Rob. Thank you. You thank, you, well, pull you that? know, I just jeez. <laughs> it's, it's so sad up here. I was but like, Lori. Like, <laughs> Lori. No, no, not Lori. 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 He actually, Heidi. Rob. Rob Schneider actually is the IBDB <laughs> database. It's just they just plug into his head. It's true. <laughs> he just gets requests and sends them right back he out just, at you. He just thinks the updates and they happen. Exactly. <laughs> it's Heidi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. To process it in a normal voice, <laughs> oh, and then we, and your mom then got to work with Alfred Drake and Keene. Yes. Oh, no, I have to ask you. Growing up, did your parents share any memories and anecdotes about working in the golden age? Yeah, I mean, of the American age. musical theater. How cool is that? Yeah, they sort of they sort of dovetailed on that. You know, on uh, they literally left Broadway. I guess you know we don't. I tend not to signify the end of the golden age with a specific date or show, but their last show was in '65. And they, they or 64, 65. I had a Rob, ball. I had a ball. Yeah, I had 64, a ball with 64, 65. I think. 64, that's right. Yeah. But it had a nice long run into 65. And they both left at the same time. Dad wanted to go into commercial work, which was really booming for him at the time. And mom wanted to concentrate more on singing and, and at that point just being a mother. And I came along a couple years later. Wow. Were you, when you were growing up, did you have a lot of, you know, celebrities coming to the house or dropping over or, or Broadway, it, Broadway it, folk? There, there were some, like um, Harry Gauz and his wife Maggie. Harry was, um, holds the record for being the longest running Tevya. Oh, wow. Uh, or at least for a time he was. He was in, I think it was in the Guinness Book of World Records. His costume hung in the Smithsonian because he played it the most. Oh, my uh, gosh. Um, so they were always they were they were mom's and mom and dad's best friends. They were also mom's roommates for a while back in the day. But um, so yeah, we always had musical people over. We were going over to their houses. Um, I wouldn't call it a star-studded event, um, but I do remember the time that we had a country house upstate in, in Warwick, New York, and there was one time that Richard Kiley came riding up on his horse because he happened to be of course he did course riding he did. through the neighborhood, and he had dad and horse. mom had done. I had a ball together, so yeah, of course. Um, but you know, it, but it was fun. We had fun people over, and um, it, it was a chance for us as kids to see that fun performer side of my parents because we didn't see it that much. We saw the mom and dad who were now mom and dad, and right. I would go with dad on his uh, on his. Uh, he was voiceover king for years, so I'd go to the studio with him on certain days when I didn't have school because I loved that world. But that's also where I got to see some fun, kooky people. And you know, as you wait in a, in a waiting room for any audition, you you see you know, thirty people from Broadway hanging around. Right. So yeah, I, I I did grow up with these people. Um, yeah, so that was that was fun. And just really really quickly, um, for for our uh, listeners want to look up your folks, Dad's name was Steve Rowland and Mom's Lispet Nelson. L I S P E T. Nelson, N E L S O N. That's cool. how she's listed on IBD. Cool. We'll put, we'll, yeah, we'll post a link. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so now they met doing I Had a Ball. Is yes. that correct? So out of that horrible flop, apparently came something. <laughs> no. What? Horrible. Well, it was a horrible flop commercially, but not True. necessarily. No, the score is great. Yeah, I love it's a great the score. score. And yes. I, you know, the script is the script is what it is. <laughs> the script, yes. Well, when we, we interviewed Karen, I feel like I remember editing it, and I, we were like, "So, Karen, can you tell us the plot of I Had a Ball?" And Karen was like, "Karen Morrow was like the lead in it, you guys." And she was like, "Well, there was Buddy Hackett, and like she couldn't <laughs> like you. <laughs> God bless her, love you, Karen. Yeah. But yeah, and she's like, but the score, the score is amazing, and the score actually, I do like the score a lot. It's fun. It's a great. It's a, I mean, it's a silly and score with her, fun. you know, brassing out with that voice. Oh my gosh. The Ooh. funny part is, yes, have please. you ever seen the the Ed Sullivan clip of yes, the yeah. title number? Fantastic! It's so good that that's preserved. What here's the structure of the show? What she's literally singing about my father's character in that number that they're they're engaged, they're going to be married, they're they're going to have this thing. Well, my dad played among they all they were all crooks and con men in the show. That's sort of what it's about. And literally, somebody comes on stage. I can't remember which character. It might have been Richard Kiley's character. Comes on stage and says, um, oh, "I've lost her name now. Her the character's name, Karen Morrow's character." Um, 
that I don't remember. Uh, but we'll say Heidi for the record. Let's say That'll Heidi. Be... He says, Heidi Brooks. That's my dad's character's name. Brooks has fled town. He's taken the money and run. So the big number has just finished about how good life is. She literally turns to center stage and sings the sad song of the show. <laughs> <laughs> really paced themselves there. Yeah, they, really you know, good. they didn't leave that audience sitting too long. But, um, but I have the script and it does, it reads like, um, it sort of reads like it's a mad, 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 mad world. It's one yeah. of those 1960s sort of oh. madcap, weird... Well, if you listen to our interview with her, what was she saying? That there was a scene where they went through a tunnel of love, yeah. and there'd be a blackout, and then the lights would come up, and there'd be a celebrity sitting in the car yeah. next to her. They would get guest celebrities <laughs> to come in. Yeah. Very 60s variety show. <laughs> Very, yeah. Yeah. Boy, I wish they would bring those back. I know. I, I kind of, well, maybe, you know, when they were doing this last Hello, Dolly! in 94, I had a lot of friends in that. They would auction off someone to come in on the on, on the parade Cameos. sequence and cameo. Oh, wow. And I thought, what a great way to do that with celebrities. Just like, you know, I remember, oh, oh, you can't take it with you. Was that it? No, Arsenic and Old Lace. Sorry, I'm oh, my, yeah. I've got my plays mixed up. No, um, that revival, uh, I want to say the late 80s. Um, oh, with, with Gene Stapleton. All of the, yeah, all of the dead men would come upstairs oh. from, from at the curtain call. And it was, it was, it was always... Um, a bunch of celebrities, or oh, that's funny. I've it never heard that. That's the entire hysterical. mayor's cabinet came upstairs. It, it was yeah. That's, that's, that's a genius. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. steal that. Yeah. I'm going to steal that because that's so brilliant. Okay, so they, they met there. Watching watching your parents uh, in the in the auditioning process and stuff in the '60s and stuff, and then you getting into it a few years later. What what are the major differences that you see from the how they how they would book work as opposed to how let's say you book work. I don't know. There are times I feel like when they talked about their audition processes, it sometimes sounded like it was twenty times easier to get a job in the fifties and sixties mm-hmm. as it was when I was first starting in the late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. And but then again, you know, my mother talks about her first audition coming to New York in nineteen fifty eight was nineteen fifty nine. No, she came here in fifty eight. Her first audition was auditioning for a replacement in Gypsy or something for the the tour or something. Wow. Now, Gypsy was 59, so she wouldn't have auditioned in 58. Then she lied. <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, she twisted your ears up like I always do. Um, so anyway, her second or first big audition in New York is for Gypsy. Wow. And she's standing on the stage of the Broadway theater, because back then everybody auditioned in the theater no matter what. Yeah. And uh, one of the assistants, I think it was Robin's assistant, circled her the entire time she was singing her song on stage, just sizing her up, looking her up and down. I mean, it was for Gypsy. I mean, you know, they, they had to, true. at one point, wow. appear, quote unquote, naked at the end of the show on yeah. the Christmas yeah. tree. So, Can you imagine you're singing your audition song and there's just a strange just someone man walking around yeah. you on stage. You? I mean, we already, <laughs> as an actor, I already felt like they were doing that anyway, you know, right. because auditions are so abysmal and terrifying. It doesn't matter how good you are at them. You still think they're just... Oh, gosh. They're X-raying me. Um, <laughs> I always felt safer at airports than I did in auditions. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like I feel like the stakes are higher now. I th- I want I sometimes I want to say there are fewer jobs, but you know every theater in in town has has a show in it right now. So yeah, I might be exaggerating, but I, I just feel like. Uh, I think there are a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. Uh, I had the chance back in the day when I was auditioning for Miss Saigon, we auditioned on the stage of the Broadway theater. Oh, wow. And that, that was amazing. I mean, I still wrecked my voice, but you know, singing Why God Why on that stage, yeah. um, even in an audition setting, was kind of a thrill, but you know, that never happens anymore. No, and to I know, don't, also know that your mom like, was on the same exact stage. You know, I don't audition. think I knew that story then either. Oh, but man. But we both, at least we both auditioned on the stage of the Broadway theater. That's kind of wild. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> we always ask this question. Question, uh, and I, if you know the answer, that would be great. But if not, no worries. Which is, when your parents were auditioning, do you happen to remember if they had a go-to audition song? <clears throat> I do. When my dad was auditioning for any R&H show, he had permission from Rogers to sing "If I Loved You" because he was the only one, according to according to Dad and according to what Dad said about Richard Rogers, he was allowed to sing that at an audition. Rogers hated his material being sung at auditions, as most composers. Don't are, are not very comfortable with it, but he let Dad do it. So he went from uh, after doing Pipe, uh, sorry, South Pacific. Uh, his next audition was for Pipe Dream, and they had him come in and and they let him let him sing, which kind of tells me in a way like Dad probably already had the job, but <laughs> yeah. I mean he just he, they they liked him a lot. That he he was easygoing and and uh, had this great voice and was always a good presence on stage. So mm-hmm. they always knew they had a, a good cast member in Dad and Mom. Oh, what did she sing? 
You know, I, I came across a bunch of their old music late, uh, recently, and she had, only because she did the revival in 1960, she had How Are Things in Glockamora in her book. I don't know if that was her go-to, but she talks about singing that one for auditions. What was the first Broadway show that you saw? You know, I'm sure you must have been steeped in it. <laughs> it as comes. A child. It all comes back to Julie Stein and Stephen Sondheim, Gypsy yeah. in 1974 with wow. with Angela Lansbury. Oh, yeah. and um, good one. I dad had played me the album. It's all my dad's fault. He played me the album, and was sort of hyping me up to be. To, he said, "Do you want to want to be a newsboy? You'd be a great newsboy." I had no idea what a newsboy was. <laughs> I love that he's like trying to get you into business. Right. Right. Like, exactly. Most parents are like, "Stay away." Stay I totally away. know. They 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 neither dragged me nor or or repelled me from it. They, yeah. they, they sort of let me choose, make my own choices. But I remember vividly driving back in from the country that, that Sunday. We were going to see it either that night or the next day or sometime that week. And he was singing half the score to me in the car, which was like, was my dad gay? <laughs> uh, I mean, gypsy. I don't know. It was Gypsy. But, but it was their, one of their favorite shows because here's another. My godfather, Dick Perry, was the trumpet player uh, for Ethel, for, in the pit for the original production of Gypsy. So all those crazy high... He's very well known. That's I mean, Dick like, Perry. A, that's, yep. yeah. that's Uncle Dick. He's wow. He's like one of the like the, every time you hear like an old like the brassy show tune from that era, it's usually Dick Perry. Yep. <laughs> like playing all those and high notes. Dick was your uncle or, or Godfather? Godfather. Godfather. Wow. wow. That's cool. That's so cool. So you also was... had this deep appreciation then not only for what happens on stage, well, like you said earlier today, you know, like the beautiful people in the pit right. creating all that right. music. But Well, there's there's the pit, there's and you know, I uh, Uncle Dick's last show, uh, he died in eighty nine, ironically, just as the Tyne Daily revival of Gypsy was opening. Uh. He had uh, really bad diabetes, um, and he, I, w- I hung out with him in the pit at the Majestic Theater because that was his last Broadway show. It was 42nd Street, oh, so wow. I got to, um, I got to hear one night. I got to sit. I think it was Act One. I got to sit there mm-hmm. and listen to all of Act One. Um, but he was great. He loved my enthusiasm for the theater. He invited me to my dad to come to uh, the original cast recording of 42nd Street at the old RCA Studios. Mm-hmm. So. Um, if you listen to the audition, Shadow Waltz, and I think we're in the money. I'm in that room somewhere. <laughs> Doing yes. the taps. Doing the totally right. picking up the taps. Like, <laughs> I can do this. Taps. I can do this. I got it. I got it. I understand the grind of it all. So when my, when my dad would get serious and talk about why he finally left Broadway, um, it, was, it, it was sort of hard to hear, especially when I was younger and really wanted it. Yeah. And did he make a conscious decision to, mm-hmm. to, oh, he did? Yeah, yeah. I had during during the '60s. He started to book a lot of on-camera commercial work, yeah. um, a ton of it, and uh, it was a really it was a hard decision. But he really, and I think emotionally, I had a ball. Took a stress on him. I think he also probably looked at his Broadway career up until that point as attached to Donna, mm. and that he'd married my mother, and that was a new chapter. And at that point, they were both kind of. I think they were burnt out. Right. You know, she'd gone from. They both went from show to show to show, and. I think Dad did Bells Are Ringing for almost three years. Wow. Oh, my god! So gosh. it was the entire run on Broadway. Then they took it out on the road. And when they offered him uh, the film version, he just said, no, no, I can't. I can't do this show one more time. Wow. Came back to New York. And that's when he started getting roles. That was, you know, Bells Are Ringing. He did a lot of smaller mm-hmm. featured, featured pieces. Um, 110 in the Shade was the first time. Well, no, I'm sorry. He did a play in there as well. Uh, Come On Strong with uh, uh, Van Johnson was in the lead. Oh, yeah. Uh, mildly successful run. But even Donna was in that with him. So he started getting roles. And then Noah was his first sort of breakout role in musicals, followed by Brooks in, in uh, uh, I Had a Ball. And I think that's when he just finally went, you know what? Eight times a week I'm doing this for, I don't know what equity minimum was in, in, in right. the 60s or even what his salary was at that point. But he was making in a day what he would make in two three weeks mm. on Broadway. What, what were some of the commercials that he appeared in? Because he's a very familiar Ooh. face. Um, they're all on my YouTube channel. Uh, I oh. will try. I, Ooh, I wish I could. We'll a lot that. of cigarette commercials. Um, I shouldn't say all. He made thousands of commercials. I have a tape of about wow. a CD. Wow. What generation am I? No, it's okay. <laughs> um, I had a DVD of about 50 of them. And that just scratches the surface of, of all that he did. He became known as, did a lot of cigarette commercials. He did a lot of, he was always the bumbling but happy husband. Um, <laughs> yeah. He was never the he would like there, there are types and I guess he would have been like the pre Homer Simpson of, of of commercials at the time, sweet and lovable but not not never the banker never the lawyer but just always the fix it handyman yeah. or he was right. um, seen in a lot of uniforms like like the Maytag man but he never yeah. had that campaign but. Yeah. Um, he appealed to working class America. He very much so. In fact, if you go to YouTube.com, right? I, uh, I'm Rich Roland. I think that's my username. 
Uh, there's a whole selection. You can also find me on Facebook. I'm 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 sort of have a I'm not closed off yeah, to, oh, to the general we'll world. We'll post the, the so YouTube link. I'll send you a link. Yeah, that'll be send fantastic. You a link. Um, we'll but there's some great like stuff. That. That's fun. And that's when they used to do like full on musicals as commercials. Yeah. yeah. You know they do um, they do my heart belongs to Allstate. <laughs> about and they're dancing on cars and and it's oh class there's, there's it's like was well, that's the old era of the industrials too where totally. like that was like they oh did here's an interesting little musicals. thing I I knew that my father had done a film with Madeline Kahn way back when but it was an industrial film and nothing ever came of it and he never talked much about it he just talked about it was Madeline's first time in front of a camera and she was shy and kooky but. You know, and this is right, this is like 1966. I stumbled upon it on YouTube. I found it. It's called The Song of Arthur. It's out there. The it's on my. The Song of Arthur. Written by Stan Freeman, who also wrote. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had a ball. Yep. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's. it's it's for MetLife Insurance, I believe, but it's entirely sung. It's a musical about, it's like 30 minutes long. Amazing. Dad, as the, of course, the, the bumbling husband who wants to go on a diet, and uh, Madeline Kahn plays his wife, and... That's really cool. <laughs> it's, is this on your channel? I think it is. If not, I'll, I'll, I, I think I have to call it, just so I'm not getting in trouble, I'm not calling it Song of Arthur, but I'm calling it, I might call it Dad's Industrial with Madeline Kahn, I'm not sure. But there she is, with just being Madeline Kahn. Love and it. We will post that. Now, do you remember other shows that you were seeing at this time besides Gypsy, which had such a yep. massive effect on you? Um, the Magic Show also had a huge effect oh, on me. Oh, speaking of magic, yeah. That was my... Literally. There were two LPs that played themselves, or I played to death in my room, and probably, now that I think about it, you know, the, the, those doors are so thin. They heard every... I was... I could, I could, <laughs> I could sing every song, play every character in both The Magic Show and Gypsy... And just those LPs were. Boy, that's, those are. I have to say though, <laughs> it's not like you're like Gypsy and Anna get your gun, but it's like no the magic show. I was well rounded from an early wow. age. I, I love was, it. I wasn't no, stuck in great. one genre. Not Pippin. Um, no, 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 no. The no, Pippin came show. later. I, yeah. I discovered Pippin when I actually did it, and, and came, I went to French Woods naturally. Oh, um, nice. Of course. My parents had to get it out of me somehow. So, <laughs> um, but I, I, I discovered Pippin there, and. By the way, Anne Nathan and I discovered that we were both in Pippin together at, the, at, at that camp, and we, I totally didn't, didn't know, know each it. other. No, Amazing. Not That's really. Funny. Oh my God. I, was a weird, I was a weird child. I kept to myself very much. Um, but, uh, but there I was. Magic show, gypsy. Um, Magic show. That's like, I want to be a lion tamer. Oh, such a good score. Right? Such a good score. Style. Like West End Avenue, West, West Style. Like yes, style. with David Ogden Styers. Yes. And well, David Cogsworth from Beauty and the totally. Beast. And then I discovered a chorus line, and this is where my life sort of takes a little interesting turn. I discovered a chorus line and was introduced to the world of, even though I grew up in it, I always went to shows with my parents. So it was always an event. It was always the Actors Fund benefits. It was always to, or, or an opening night. But it was always in their care, in their umbrella, right. in their world. I discovered at 13 or 14, standing room. Mm. And that ten bucks was my gateway to anything I wanted to see. So I must have seen a chorus line about forty times. Oh wow! And you know, with my allowance and whatnot, that just it was every Friday night or Saturday. I would just go down to the theater, plunk my bill down, and stand in the back of that theater. And that show, oh, I was yeah. never going to be a dancer. That wasn't what, even though I, I that choreography still, you know, I can still do it in my sleep. Yeah. Um, but I, that was the life I wanted. I wanted to be one of those people. So at that age, I was discovering what show business could be on my own terms, mm -hmm. yeah. instead of through my family's, because that was a show of my generation, not of theirs. Where and where was college for you? Denison University. Denison University. Yeah, you know. And were you doing uh, uh, musical theater specifically? Or no, theater? they had a theater, pro a small theater, but they still have a small theater program. Um, I got my BFA in um, in theater there, theater performance. Um, it was not specifically a musical theater uh, department or program. There's a music department, a dance department, and a theater department. They all sort of had buildings next to each other down at the bottom of the hill where all the crazy artist, artistic people were. But, and they would do a musical every few years. Like every four years, they'd grab everybody together and do something. And, and then I was very lucky to come out of college and just start working. Yeah. So came to New York. Yeah. Did you have an agent? I didn't at the time. I had a commercial agent. Great. I was, I was, doing, I was chasing commercials as a teenager through uh, William Morris and... CED, Cunningham Escott Dapini, mm -hmm. and booking a few things here and there, nothing huge, nothing, nothing to put me through college, but just sort of having to have the experience of, of that. Because of my commercial auditions, I knew Judy Henderson really well, a casting director on the Upper West Side. Her offices, I, she might still be there on 89th, I think. 
in West End Avenue. She has auditions in her home. It was always a very comfortable thing. And uh, we went to see Forever Cheaper. Plaid at Steve McGraw's. And I looked at that show and I went, I have to, I have to do that. I have to be in that show. So little 22-year-old me runs up to Judy Henderson and drops off my new picture and resume that uh, I just posted one on, online. David Morgan, the headshot photographer. Um, they're not bad. I like I liked, I liked the way I looked back then. I'd, I'd hire me. Um, <laughs> at the time, I thought, you look, you look at the pictures, you go, oh, my God, I'm fat. Um, yeah. And I just ran up there with, it, with stuff for Judy, and she said, well, we're going to have auditions in a month for the San Diego premiere. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'll scrub toilets. I'll, you know, I'll, you know, and that's kind of what happened. I, I got hired to be the understudy to the original New York cast as they transferred out to San Diego for the first time. First Broadway show that you were in. That I was. I was a replacement in Scarlet Pimpernel. So let's version one point oh. Oh, and that's how I put it on my resume too. That always got a nice, a nice chuckle from the, uh, yeah. from the table. For those of listeners out there, I mean, especially our younger ones, Scarlet Pimpernel is a Broadway musical that had, let's say, various incarnations, different versions of it. You might say it was the. It, I mean, it it wasn't it wasn't Cats, but it had nine lives. Yeah, yeah, it kept going. Yeah. They kept trying. That's yep. for sure. What's yep. the closest thing now? What Paramore or Spider Man? No. Well, Paramore, they did shut down to retool it again. Yeah, so what, ex- so what exactly happened? So, <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I'll, well you're version my, 1.0. So yeah. You saw, the, in, you saw the original. I came in very early. I was one of the first replacements. Um, my friend Paul Castry was... Um, uh, the swing for the show. And he booked, I can't remember what he booked. Anyway, he was leaving the show. And I got a call to go in. And here's the here's why I got the show. I fit Paul's costumes. Sometimes it's as simple as that, You folks. fit Paul's costumes, and yep. that was your Broadway debut. Well, let's just say Paul was 28-inch waist. I still think he is a 28-inch waist <laughs> at this point. And, I mean, I'm looking at 36 now. But at the time, I was 31, 32. I know I didn't fit those costumes. But they made... It was they a great made, team. It was it a great. It was a great way to make a debut because you weren't carrying anything. You weren't responsible for anything except you were. You were responsible for all the little shit that had to get done during the show. Mm-hmm. You know, hold the gun here, run off, change back into the French yeah. lieutenant uniform, come out here, lift Christine Andreas off the bench on this count, mm-hmm. uh, run back. Uh, you're doing a split track today. You know, huge responsibility. But then I still wasn't even thirty yet, and I just it just was wide-eyed anticipation that I would uh, I would wait for the call because you know I came into the show probably in its fifth or sixth month of the run mm. and at that point vacations start happening mm-hmm. and um, I was on probably four out of every eight shows on average you were a swing I was a swing wow. first yeah so now I don't I don't know all that much about the Scarlet Pimpernel so I, ha- I have to ask you why is there a 1.0 why is there a 2.0 what exactly happened they just closed the show down and they closed us in October I think of 98 and I left. I, I decided not to not to continue on. I had booked the Titanic National Tour at that point. And I didn't want to relearn a show only to do it for two weeks and then leave. Um, what had happened was is that uh, they closed the show down for a certain amount of time. They brought in a new director and choreographer to reshape the show. And they asked Nan and Frank, Nan Knighton, the book writer, um, and Frank Wildhorn, with Bobby Longbottom, who came in to, re- to retool it, rework it. And I mean... I. I mean, no disrespect to anybody, but I didn't think there was anything wrong with the show to begin with. I thought it was fun. It may have been more fun to do than it was to watch. Um, I don't know. I, I thought the audiences loved it. We had our group of um, 
you know, we call them pimpies, the the uh, the groupies that came to see the show every every yeah. weekend. Um, <laughs> pimpies, yeah, pimpies, yeah. Jekyll and Hyde had them too. What oh, are yeah. they called? Jackies. Jackies. Oh yeah. my god. Oh yeah. Frank Waldron, he knows how to get his uh, you know <laughs> fans. But Definitely. then, did they have drackies or were those yeah, something else? For, I don't know if it lasted long enough. For anything there. <laughs> Although I did see Dracula. Sorry. Um, did you really? All of it. Oh yes, and there was much to see. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see it. Um, uh, my husband's one of his best friends was in it, oh, and yeah. I don't remember why I didn't get to see it. I, I might have been. I don't know. I might have been didn't away. It didn't last long enough. It didn't last long, I know. But Scarlet Pimpernel uh, did. It they, just kept coming back, and they kept reworking it, reworking it. I don't know what they were trying to rework it for, to be honest. I'm not sure what the goal was. We sat in a couple of big company meetings where we all sat in the lobby and were told a bunch of information, which I'm sure at the time meant something, but I just remember sitting going, well, it's not that... I, it is what it is. It's a fun show. It's not that broken. But And if I may, I don't, I don't care. Um, I don't think it ever got better. I don't yeah. think I don't think I think it got shorter. I think there's a consensus there. Yeah, <laughs> it, it got shorter. More streamlined. They a little more they streamlined. different albums. There's different you know albums yeah, that have never, yeah. songs in it. The tour was a little different. Yep. I think that went out and so each ver- there's just different versions and then they started seeing like version like 2.0. Yeah, <laughs> 3.0. I didn't know any of this stuff. Yeah. Like was, the AOL discs you used to get, like 1.0, 2.0, is that Exactly. Was? Well, was, this was the same time period. Yep. <laughs> Jeez, Louise, I did not know any of this. Okay, so you so you you go through Scarlet Pimpernel, just 1.0. We don't make it to 2.0. No. Um, or negative 2.0, if we don't think it's an improvement. <laughs> um, you go on to Titanic. Yes. The national tour. Now, nice. what are you doing on this Titanic I tour? I saw that tour. Um, you saw it? Oh, yeah. We're, came to Cleveland, maybe. Yeah, yeah. We so, were there. Oh yeah, it was cold. Yeah, it was. was winter in Cleveland. We again, Julie Hughes and Barry Moss. I owe them so much gratitude for the start of my career as a as a on the on the Broadway level. Funny thing is, they they cast me in Pimpernel, and I sent them a bunch of flowers because they just they were the nicest people. And Barry called me. He said, "You didn't have to send flowers." I don't know why I'm, he sounds like Jimmy Durante to me, but <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to send flowers, kid. We'll get you something better. I just remember him saying that, and I was like. Better. This is great. I'm so happy right. to be in this. You know, it's it's a great team. He goes, we'll get you something better. Well, a few months later, I you know I had already gone through the rounds of auditions for the Broadway production of Titanic, so they knew me. Um, uh, the tour was opening up. I was one of the first people they called in. I went in and read opposite Jen Peach, who was playing uh, Kate McGowan at the time on Broadway. Two things were happening. Clark Thorell was bumping up to Barrett on Broadway, and the tour was opening, and they sort of had this flip-flop discussion with me. Um, would you want to replace on Broadway or would you want to originate on the tour? And I was looking at my bank account and I went, you know what? I could use, I could sign away my life for a year mm. and minimum and put the money away and, and originate something. I'd, I'd, I'd had the experience of replacing and now it was time to, yeah. to create. And that's what I did. We started rehearsals at 890 Studios and um, <laughs> again, a great... A great group of people, some of whom are, are starting to not be here with us anymore. Uh, Margot Skinner, for one, but uh, Michael Shell recently, and Kevin Gray. Oh my gosh! Oh um, yeah. Um, but that is where I had met my future husband, Raymond Sage. Met showman. How long were you on tour? Uh, Eighteen months. Yeah, good. That's a nice. Yeah. That's a nice long time. Yeah. And yeah. after a while, even though you know you're living that sweet life, it's a sweet life. You have no responsibilities. And even though after a while it gets to you. And I think I think actually that planted the seeds where I was like, I can't eight shows a week is hard. It's really yeah. hard. I still stuck it out for a while after that. But um but I did when we left the Titanic tour, I didn't I didn't do anything for at least six months. I just we came home in July of two thousand and I just took that time off yeah. and auditioned for a couple of things but didn't want anything and blessedly follies just sort of fell in my lap and that was that was the next thing. So you so. were part of the first Follies revival. Yes. I mean this is Wow, huge. that was the first Follies revival. Yeah. There was no Good. middle ground on that one. You either oh, yeah? I mean, you I'm either sure loved you, it you know this. or you hated it. And you were you were young Ben. I was young Ben. I was the younger version of Gregory Harrison, which is the best compliment I've ever received in my life. <laughs> my God. When I found out he was playing Ben, I was like, oh. It's like, surely they've miscast this. I have no <laughs> idea what's happening. But so he's no, gorgeous. So tell us. He is gorgeous. Now tell us about this production, because like you said, you either loved it or you hated it. Can you, could you feel that when you're performing every night? No. I only interacted with a certain amount of people in that show. I had mm. the amazing younger team of Lauren Ward, Aaron Dilly, Joey Sorge. We were all the youngers. Yeah. Wow. And so you have that team. And we're working, we're, we work very hard together and very well together. Um, and even though Aaron uh, left mid-tour, uh, mid-run, mid I think she left to do the South Pacific tour. 
um, Kelly O'Hara replaced yeah. Aaron Dilley. So then I had so a different bad. Phyllis for the second half of the run in Kelly O'Hara. That was so, her Broadway debut. Was it really? Her Broadway I did debut. Not know yep. that. Yes. Um, but they were all tremendous to work with. And then we spent, and this is why I love Matthew Warchus. We we spent a few days in rehearsal, and not everybody's into this. It's not everybody's game as an actor or director. We did. We got to do improv work. <laughs> so British. With Ju- with Judy Thivey and Treat totally. Williams and Gregory Harrison and Blythe Danner. Yeah. And, just like 101, you know what I mean? Like yeah. back to basics yep. in the best possible way. So what would you improvise? Like what would you do? <laughs> this is so A lot of story that's not told on stage. Oh. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of marital issues for the older couples. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron and I uh, worked a lot on our dates as young Ben and, 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 yeah. and you know, really playing upon the fact that Ben had no money. Um, and then, of course, you know, figuring out how Sally and Ben started um, started playing around and how much Buddy knew about it, how much he chose not to see, you know. I don't know if any of that transferred to stage, and I don't really care, but we got to we got to feel, and this is what I think Matthew was so brilliant at doing, he makes every single person in that room feel included. And I think in a show like Follies, it's so easy to say, okay, that's the ensemble, you don't, right. ca- you don't matter, these are our four principles with a few older women around them that, make, that, that alleviate the, the stress for the evening. And that wasn't Matthew's point at all, that wasn't his vision at all. He wanted to make sure that everybody on that stage had a specific reason for being there and had a story for being there. It was good work, and it, it was hard, because people came down hard on that show. They came down hard, and I, I'll... They did. I know it's a critic's job to do what they do, and Lord knows we leave theaters and sometimes just oh. have the most horrible things to say about it, but it was the season where certain critics couldn't reference any other show in any other review for the next, at least the next year without referencing Follies mm-hmm. at the Belasco and how they felt about it, right. particularly the negative ones. Um, and it, it, that was tough. That was really tough because, you know, like any show, you work hard and you realize you're working on a show about memory and how time perverts mm-hmm. your memory and how you can't clearly remember how something happened. So the same thing happened with the show. There was this f- almost fantasy production that happened at the Winter Garden Theater, which now I have seen footage of. And yeah, it's pretty fantastic what happened there. Yeah. Um, but there were people that were not willing to let the new version be what it was. And I still stand behind Kathleen and, and Matthew's vision for that piece. It seems that you were starting to get the, the directing bite a little bit. I mean, well, had you always had a vision to no. be the director? I no, mean, but I, I had done enough productions where I knew how to appreciate the good direction that was happening around me, but also how to save myself from some of the less than constructive directing that was happening around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to name any names on that respect, but I had done some regional productions uh, in between all this. Some were fantastic. Others were like, how do you even, how do you right. even have a job? But, you know, right. it, just, it, it, it can be so upsetting sometimes when um, you miss wonderful opportunities um, and the actors are left to sort of make something there that's not or that, yeah. that it's not their decision to make. And... That, it, it starts to creep up on you and, and you, you just start you just, I just started developing an eye for um, I really was I think it was Matthew that really started started that that ball rolling just when how he how he handled a room of 40 something actors you know, of all scales of life. I all mean, we're scales of life. Old school showbiz. Yeah. yeah, I can't even imagine a show like Follies. You've got to navigate so many yep. personalities. And he and Kathleen knew where to put every long-legged ghost uh, at every moment. You know, that was it was just beautifully done. So that probably was what sparked that, and then um, I still still kicked around as an actor for a while. Um, left Broadway with a bang in Millie. Yeah, that was fun. And uh, even that, I, I you know I I worked a bit with um, Michael Mayer on that because I was Susan Egan's first Jimmy when she replaced Sutton. Right. So you were there with all of that the famous you know the night that Sutton went on and like you know or no did, I wasn't. Wasn't Kristen a part of it too at one point? I wasn't. I wasn't a part of that. Um, Although I have to say, I, I've known Dick Scanlon since... The book writer. Pageant. Yeah. Dick Scanlon wrote the book for yeah. Millie. He oh, was yeah. in Pageant as an actor back in the early 90s. Wow. Whom, uh, uh, James Raitt had done all the arrangements for Pageant, as well as done the, all the arrangements for Forever Plaid, and both were sort of small hits at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And James and I became very close. He was one of my first mentors, and that's how I met Dick. But I'd kept in touch with Dick over uh, through the years, and I remember when he invited me down to 890 to see the first staged reading of Thoroughly Modern Millie. Oh, cool. Which was really nothing more than the script of the movie and the songs just thrown up on stage. Edward Hibbert as Mrs. Mears. What? Oh, my gosh. Christine yes, Ebersole please. as yeah. Muzzy. 
and she still said raspberries. Like that's how that yeah, like they literally followed the yeah. she literally followed the, the script of the of the movie oh screenplay. Um, oh my god! Amanda Naughton as Millie, Krista Moore as Miss Dorothy. Oh my god! Jimmy Ludwig, who's still out there. Um, yeah. Uh, his show just clo- like his show just closed before rehearsals. I don't. I need to know more about that. He was supposed to start rehearsals for a show and it just closed. I don't know. Or they they just canceled. Um, anyway, I'm sorry, Jimmy, if you're listening. Um, but you're good, and something new will come up immediately. Um, but he was Jimmy, and Alan Maroka was. Um, they hadn't decided to call those two guys Bunfu and Ching Ho yet, but <laughs> but they were the they were the laundry guys, and it was just so much fun. And right. I knew that there was even though it was the film version, which is so talk about wa- weird. It's a weird movie. It's very weird. It is bizarre. Um, but that's where it started. And Stacia Fernandez was Ethel Pease, who gets kidnapped in the very beginning. Right. So I remember this because I kept every, I keep everything. Yeah. Um, I still have the little piece of paper from 890. But that was the start of something. And Dick had just gotten permission to do it. And so it was cut pre, to. Pre Tesori songs. Pre Tesori, yeah. yep. Wow. And then Janine came on later on. And I, I didn't audition for it again until pre La Jolla. Mm-hmm. Mm. But um, then the role went to Jim Stanek. Oh yeah, oh, right. and Aaron Dilly. Yeah. Um, so they were heading the cast. Pat Carroll, I think, was was in the cast as well. Wow. I could be totally mixing up all my stories, but um, you'll hear from people. Um, <laughs> and then what happened in La Jolla is what happened, and it uh, it, it Sutton uh, Sutton took over, and it came to New York. I didn't audition for it again in New York until um, until after the first year, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in fact, here comes back to Joey Sorge, who was opposite me in Follies. Mm-hmm. He was in the ensemble covering Jimmy Smith, going on quite a bit, covering Trevor Graydon as well. They were offering him Jimmy on the national tour, and he said, hey, you know, I know you need a job, and uh, this is an easy, easy understudy track. You'll, you'll, They'll love you. You'll love it. And at that point, I'd done a couple of workshops with Michael Rafter of the show. He right. was putting together of um, uh, Swing Shift. He and David Armstrong of the Fifth Avenue Theater were putting together this musical version of Swing Shift using period music, uh, period tunes, and mm-hmm. cleverly woven into the this story. Um, so between that, getting to know Michael, and uh, I came in uh, to audition, and yeah, just it was I, I I got to I got to be back on Broadway, which was and I what was not to love about Thoroughly Modern Millie? It it, oh, yeah. it had such a Golden Age slash pre Golden Age feel about it. Um, slapstick, silly, screwball, and good songs and a good script. I mean, if you're going to take a movie musical and bring it to the stage, I think that's the way to do it. Right. It was. It was. Um, Dick really knew how to get get to the story. Still keep it silly. Still keep it lovable. Um, you towed the line pretty well. Like, yeah. yeah. It's not a too campy, but it is. It has to be. Well, it has it, to be. And but it's still like a throwback. We closed it in July of 2004. And seriously, if that... Well, I don't know about now, but I think for a while I was saying, if the show had kept running, I would have stayed. I would have stayed until they tore the theater down. Yeah. It was so much fun to do. Again, another another backstage that was um, a thrill to be a part of. Yeah. Um, and just fun people. You know, I got to work with Delta Burke, who was just fun. Delta she's fun. Burke. That's cool. Ah. She's fun. I mean, she's out there, and she'll tell you she's out there, but she was fun. And then replaced by the sweet and lovable Dixie Carter. Oh, right. Wow, they went right from one oh, to the, the other. I was, I was like, smart. when's Annie Potts coming in? Jean Smart. <laughs> Um, and you know Leslie Uggams, come on, who doesn't want to share the stage with Leslie? Totally. Another like Broadway treasure. Yeah. You know? And I made some great friends out of that run. And you know, it, watching Sutton work that hard every night and keeping it fresh. I know. I mean, we all know why she is where she is and wh- how she got there. But I got to see. I got to just watch her every night, and it was such a thrill just to watch the most minute moments for her just still matter to her. And it just never. It whether she was feeling shitty on the inside or. I remember she did jury duty for eight weeks, and she missed every Wednesday matinee for eight weeks because she was in jury duty. And she was on a jury. Yeah, I did not know. Yeah, and she still came in and just kicked that show out of the park every night. And you know, I just I'll never I uh, another opportunity that I had just to and that it's just it was great. It was a great thing. And my dad was one of the last things he well it was the last Broadway show he saw me do. You've worked with some real legends, real legends. You you being included in that as well. What makes a good actor in the room what do you think makes a good actor I don't know that I have anything new to say about it but I think what makes a good actor in the room is just just be just be focused be kind be focused know your shit if you don't have to be off book for that first rehearsal that's not I don't think that's what people look for I don't um, you gotta have something to write down on um, but kindness and you know, it's, I'm not saying you, you know, don't bring treats don't bring you know but be kind and respectful 
I've seen too many people injure each other because they're not respectful of that person's mm-hmm. process. And I know I'm, I'm trying not to use so many actor terms, but it, it, if somebody works at a different pace than you, don't blame them because you want to work faster or you want to work slower. Take a breath. Let it happen. It's all going to come together. It's all going to, everybody's going to be ready on opening night. I just think there are certain, I think what gets in, I'm sorry, I'm answering your question from the other side of That's it. I'm great. going towards the negative, but it's such an impediment when actors lose patience with each other, when directors lose patience with actors or vice versa. And there is a time to lose patience. There is. It's not in the room in front of everybody. It's right. not, it's not acting out in front of anybody else, but it's, it's, it's getting, it's taking that time afterwards or before when, when nobody else is just to, just to ask what's going on. How can we help? and fix um, but I think what helps make these what makes people legends and what makes them good is is that it's it's kindness it's respect it's talent and you can't you can't buy the talent but and you can't you could argue whether or not talent is learned I think it's cultivated but can you teach talent I don't know I think you yeah. can teach the craft and then and then the art is whatever you can do to it so would you would you say that you're primarily a director right now yeah. I mean there's yeah. is there anything that'll ever get you back on that stage are there any roles that you're still dying to play? I don't think 20 people would come to see it, but I, if, 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 the, if the Weislers called and said, we need a Billy Flynn for two weeks, come in and do it, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah very That cool. would be fun. But I, I'm very lucky to have done everything I wanted to do as an actor. That's wonderful. Yeah. I did. I, I got to star on Broadway. I got to cover on Broadway. I got to, I got to tap dance on Broadway. Mm-hmm. You know, I never thought I'd, I'd, I wanted to, I'd never ace that opening number in, in 42nd Street. I could never tap that well. Mm-hmm. But I got to do, yeah. um, uh, I, I could do my tap number in Millie. Um, I did a soap for a couple of years. I did commercials. I did voiceovers. I did recordings. I just, I always felt like, I think Millie is really where I felt like, mm, Eight, eight a week. I, lo- I love the show, and I still would have done it for another two or three years, but I think that would have, either way, that would have been my last or next to last time. I did go back to the Fantastics for a little while, but that's sort of like visiting. That's like putting on an old shoe, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> and, and I, um, Very that, comfortable shoe. Very comfortable old shoe. But uh, I went back, and I, I covered at Fantastics for a while because I'd played the boy down at the Sullivan Street Playhouse. Mm-hmm. And then all too soon, when the show opened up in... in, in um, at Snapple, they're like, "We need you for El Gallo." I was like, "You're like Fuck El Gallo? Oh, God, what?" <laughs> no, it's when the father call came in. I was like, "Really?" So oh, come on. Oh. So now I have played the mute, the boy, the boy's father, the girl's father, and El Gallo. That's incredible. That's awesome. I played the girl's father opposite the actor who played my father down at the Sullivan Street the, uh, <laughs> Playhouse, Gene Gene Jones. Um, <laughs> And just the look in his face, just his little glint in his eye, just going, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't belong in that, in that <laughs> costume. You don't know. No. Jones and Schmidt really don't get the credit that they deserve, oh, I, don't I don't think. think. Nope. I don't think they get nearly enough. Credit yeah. No. 110 in the shade? Come on. Please. Oh, my God. Well, that's... Now, that was your... You know, that was my thesis production. That was your thesis oh, production. State. Nice. Yeah, when I was getting my MFA. I say it like I got it like 30 years ago. No. <laughs> I just got it last month. <laughs> so you got... You, <laughs> You got your MFA in directing for for musical theater specifically, yes. right? Which same is degree you have, same degree that I have. Yeah, I did not do one ten in the shade as my thesis, though. What was yours? Not, um, mine was uh, Man of No Importance. Yes, oh, that right. poster still hung in our yeah. office. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yep. Yep. What's next for you? I want you know. I really I dug this this academic thing. So I'm hoping for uh, uh, a gig at a at a. A school, particularly a school that embraces musical theater as as a viable art form. Many of them do now. They're cropping up all over. And programs that had usually non-musical theater a curriculum are adding these specialty degrees to their programs. Yeah. I think they're being very wise. They see they see the financial uh, benefit of doing it, but um, it's. I mean, look at it happens every now and then. But still, look at what Hamilton has done for for uh, justifying how good a storytelling venue uh, in mu- uh, musical theater can be. Uh, so that's my hope. I really want to yeah. um, teach not only I not only am I a practitioner in the studio and on the stage, but I also consider myself a bit of a musical theater historian. So um, uh, there's a lot I can offer to a curriculum like that. So we're looking around. Um, my next gig, however, I'm just going to be a good old director. I'm going down to University of West Florida to direct their uh, Christmas Carol production. Nice. They, they wanted some a fresh take on it. So I'm looking forward to it. It's a really good script, actually. It was a script that was written for The Alley, commissioned by The Alley Theater about 10 years ago. Oh, great. Um, uh, it's good. It's good. It's non-musical, which is kind of fun. I don't know mm-hmm. that, and I don't mean to upset anybody, I don't know that Christmas Carol needs to be musical. It's, right. it's, 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 um, 
it's elevated enough. Mm-hmm. You True. Know? So I get to work my magic. You know, I like chairs and benches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep awesome. it simple. You, you, are, you are absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us both today. We well, so sharing with you you are, your family, sharing with us your family. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Go yeah. look up Dad's commercials. I'm They're totally fun. totally going to do that. I'll you know what, we didn't up. ask you, when you were auditioning, what was your, your audition song? What was your go-to? Other than Out There. Besides Out There, what was the Rich Roland go-to? Special. I used Once Upon a Time Today from Call Me Madam. What? That was a big wow, one for me. For, one. I mean, you know, I, I think it's hard to have a go-to because one day you're auditioning for, let's say, Call Me Madam, and the right. next day you're auditioning for Miss Saigon, right. you know, and it's got to be so specific. But I'll tell you, when, I, when it came to those categories, my golden age ballad was Once Upon a Time Today. My pop Macintosh, whatever it was going to be, was um, until before it was out there from Hunchback, it was so beyond. Oh, right. Marilyn. Yes, of yes. course. My I wanted, God. That was like the classic like male, like belty your face off. What so was that it was, called? So Beyond? So yeah. Beyond. Willie Joe Falk. DiMaggio sings Willie it. Willie Falk did it. That was Willie Falk, the guy that was Oh, my the, God. The, he yeah. would, would be the Chris and the... Yeah. And Miss Saigon. Well, that's why I sang it because n- nobody wanted to hear Why God Why anymore. Yeah. That's a brilliant idea. So, so beyond. And we got the Call Me yep. Madam song. What, what is yours? I never asked you, Kevin. I don't know anymore. I, I used to do out, out There. That's why I did Les Mis. That's what got me Les Mis. Mm-hmm. I did, then I do like, because I do more classical music theater. So yeah. I do like Speak Low, Kurt Vile. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, the song from Goldilocks, I Can't Be In Love. I arranged the, 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 the Don Amici song from Goldilocks because nice. I love really? Goldilocks so nice. much. Wow. Yeah. Get okay. a good response on that. Okay. Yeah, like, well, maybe we'll have a concert with you guys. We can all <laughs> obscure yeah. our audition book <laughs> the, the and audition go. Book. Oh, I also used um, I'm Getting Myself Ready For You, Cole Porter. I don't know oh, if you know, you know nice. that one. Yeah. Nobody really knew that one for a while. So That's charming. You know, it. I was using Michael Levine a lot mm-hmm. as a reference because yes. I would just say, Michael, I'm, I can't. I can't sing the next, so he gave me a nice rundown of pieces. So. He's got a couple songs in his collection. He's got a couple. He knows <laughs> yeah. a little bit. He's a little bit. You have been absolutely oh, thank wonderful. You so thank much. you. What, a, what fun this was. Really we cannot pleasure. wait to see what happens next yeah. for you. Me so. too. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.